0: Section five of Round the Sofa by Elizabeth Gaskell This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Noel Badrian My Lady Ludlow Part four I think my lady was not aware of Mr Horner's views on education, as making men into more useful members of society, or the practice to which he was putting his precepts in taking Harry Gregson as pupil and protégé, if, indeed, she were aware of Harry's distinct existence at all, until the following unfortunate occasion. The ante-room, which was a kind of business-place for my lady to receive her steward and tenants in, was surrounded by shelves. I cannot call them bookshelves, though there were many books on them, but the contents of the volumes were principally manuscript and relating to details connected with the Hanbury property. There were also one or two dictionaries, gazetteers, works of reference on the management of property, all of a very old date. The dictionary was Bailey's, I remember. We had a great Johnson in my lady's room, but where lexicographers differed, she generally preferred Bailey. In this antechamber a footman generally sat, awaiting orders from my lady. For she clung to the grand old customs and despised any bells except her own little handbell as modern inventions. She would have her people always within summons of this silvery bell or her scarce less silvery voice. This man had not the sinecure you might imagine. He had to reply to the private entrance, what we should call the back door in a smaller house as none came to the front door but my lady and those of the country whom she honoured by visiting and her nearest acquaintance of this kind lived eight miles of bad roads off the majority of comers knocked at the nail-studded terrace door not to have it opened for open it stood by my lady's orders winter and summer so that the snow often drifted into the back hall and lay there in heaps when the weather was severe but to summon someone to receive their message, or carry their request to be allowed to speak to my lady. I remember it was long before Mr. Grey could be made to understand that the great door was only open on state occasions, and even to the last he would as soon come in by that as the terrace entrance. I had been received there on my first setting foot over my lady's threshold every stranger was led in by that way the first time they came but after that with the exceptions i have named they went round by the terrace as it were by instinct it was an assistance to this instinct to be aware that from time immemorial the magnificent and fierce hanbury wolfhounds which were extinct in every other part of the island had been and still were kept chained in the front quadrangle where they bathed through a great part of the day and night and were always ready with their deep savage growl at the sight of every person and thing excepting the man who fed them, my lady's carriage and four and my lady herself. It was pretty to see her small figure go up to the great crouching brutes, thumping the flags with their heavy wagging tails and slobbering in an ecstasy of delight at her light approach and soft caress. She had no fear of them, but she was a Hanbury born, And the tale went that they and their kind knew all Hanbury's instantly, and acknowledged their supremacy, ever since the ancestors of the breed had been brought from the East by the great Sir Urian Hanbury, who lay with his legs crossed on the altar-tomb in the church. Moreover, it was reported that, not fifty years before, one of these dogs had eaten up a child which had inadvertently strayed within reach of its chain so you might imagine how most people preferred the terrace door. Mr. Gray did not seem to care for the dogs. It might be absence of mind, for I have heard of his starting away from their sudden spring when he had unwittingly walked within reach of their chains. But it could hardly have been absence of mind when one day he went right up to one of them and patted him in the most friendly manner the dog meanwhile looking pleased and affably wagging his tail just as if mr grey had been a hambury. we were all very much puzzled by this and to this day i have not been able to account for it but now let us go back to the terrace door and the footman sitting in the antechamber one morning we heard a parleying which rose to such a vehemence and lasted for so long that my lady had to ring her handbell twice before the footman heard it what is the matter john asked she when he entered a little boy my lady who says he comes from mr horner and must see your ladyship impudent little lad this last to himself what does he want that's just what i have asked him my lady but he won't tell me please your ladyship it is probably some message from mr horner said lady ludlow with just a shade of annoyance in her manner for it was against all etiquette to send a message to her, and by such a messenger, too. No, please, your ladyship, I asked him if he had any message, and he said no, he had none, but he must see your ladyship for all that. You had better show him in, then, without more words, said her ladyship quietly, but still, as I have said, rather annoyed. As if in mockery of the humble visitor, the footman threw open both battens of the door and in the opening there stood a lithe wiry lad with a thick head of hair standing out in every direction as if stirred by some electrical current a short brown face red now from affright and excitement wide resolute mouth and bright deep-set eyes which glanced keenly and rapidly round the room as if taking in everything and all was new and strange to be thought and puzzled over at some future time. He knew enough of manners not to speak first to one above him in rank, or else he was afraid. What do you want with me? asked my lady, in so gentle a tone that it seemed to surprise and stun him. And please your ladyship, said he, as if he had been deaf. You come from Mr. Horner's. Why do you want to see me? again asked she a little more loudly and please your ladyship mr horner was sent for all on a sudden to warwick this morning his face began to work but he felt it and closed his lips into a resolute form well and he went off all on a sudden like well and he left a note for your ladyship with me your ladyship is that all You might have given it to the footman. Please, your ladyship, I've clean gone and lost it. He never took his eyes off her face. If he had not kept his look fixed, he would have burst out crying. That was very careless, said my lady gently, but I'm sure you are very sorry for it. You had better try and find it. It may have been of consequence. Please, ma'am, please, your ladyship, I can say it off by heart you what do you mean i was really afraid now my lady's blue eyes absolutely gave out light she was so much displeased and moreover perplexed the more reason he had for affright, the more his courage rose he must have seen so sharp a lad must have perceived her displeasure but he went on quickly and steadily mr horner my lady has taught me to read write and cast accounts my lady and he was in a hurry and he folded his paper up but he did not seal it and i read it my lady and now my lady it seems like as if i had got it off by heart and he went on with a high pitched voice saying out very loud what i have no doubt were the identical words of the letter date signature and all it was merely something about a deed which required my lady's signature when he had done he stood almost as if he expected commendation for his accurate memory my lady's eyes contracted till the pupils were as needle-points it was a way she had when much disturbed she looked at me and said margaret dawson what will this world come to and then she was silent the lad beginning to perceive he had given deep offence stood stock still as if his brave will had brought him into this presence and impelled him to confession and the best amends he could make, but had now deserted him, or was extinct, and left his body motionless, until someone else with word or deed made him quit the room. My lady looked again at him, and saw the frowning, dumbfoundering terror at his misdeed, and the manner in which his confession had been received. My poor lad, said she, the andry look leaving her face, into whose hands have you fallen the boy's lips began to quiver don't you know what tree we read of in Genesis no I hope you have not got to read so easily as that a pause who has taught you to read and write please my lady I meant no harm my lady he was fairly blubbering overcome by her evident feeling of dismay and regret the soft repression of which was more frightening to him than any strong or violent words would have been. Who taught you, I ask? It were Mr. Horner's clerk who learned me, my lady. And did Mr. Horner know of it? Yes, my lady, and I am sure I thought for to please him. Well, perhaps you were not to blame for that. But I wonder at Mr. Horner. However, my boy, As you have got possession of edge tools, you must have some rules how to use them. Did you never hear that you were not to open letters? Please, my lady, it were open. Mr. Horner forgot for to seal it in his hurry to be off. But you must not read letters that are not intended for you. You must never try to read any letters that are not directed to you, even if they be open before you. Please, my lady i thought it were good for practice all as one as a book my lady looked bewildered as to what way she could further explain to him the laws of honour as regarded letters you would not listen i am sure said she to anything you were not intended to hear he hesitated for a moment partly because he did not fully comprehend the question my lady repeated it the light of intelligence came into his eager eyes and i could see that he was not certain if he could tell the truth please my lady i always hearken when i hear folk talking secrets but i mean no harm my poor lady sighed she was not prepared to begin a long way off in morals honour was to her second nature and she had never tried to find out on what principle its laws were based So, telling the lad that she wished to see Mr. Horner when he returned from Warwick, she dismissed him with a despondent look. He, meanwhile, right glad to be out of the awful gentleness of her presence. "'What is to be done?' said she, half to herself and half to me. I could not answer, for I was puzzled myself. "'It was a right word,' she continued, that I used when I called reading and writing edge tools.' If our lower orders have these edge tools given to them, we shall have the terrible scenes of the French Revolution acted over again in England. When I was a girl, one never heard of the rights of men, one only heard of the duties. Now, here was Mr. Gray, only last night, talking of the right every child had to instruction. I could hardly keep my patience with him, and at length we fairly came to words. And I told him I would have no such thing as a Sunday school, or a Sabbath school, as he calls it, just like a Jew in my village. And what did he say to that, my lady? I asked. For the struggle that seemed now to have come to a crisis had been going on for some time in a quiet way. Why, he gave way to temper, and said he was bound to remember he was under the bishop's authority, not under mine and implied that he should persevere in his designs, notwithstanding my expressed opinion. And your ladyship? I half inquired. I could only rise and curtsy, and civilly dismiss him. When two persons have arrived at a certain point of expression on a subject, about which they differ as materially as I do from Mr. Gray, the wisest course, if they wish to remain friends, is to drop the conversation entirely and suddenly. It is one of the few cases where abruptness is desirable i was sorry for mr gray he had been to see me several times and had helped me to bear my illness in a better spirit than i should have done without his good advice and prayers and i had gathered from little things he said how much his heart was set upon this new scheme i liked him so much and i loved and respected my lady so well that i could not bear them to be on the cool terms to which they were constantly getting yet i could do nothing but keep silence i suppose my lady understood something of what was passing in my mind for after a minute or two she went on if mr gray knew all i know if he had my experience he would not be so ready to speak of setting up his new plans in opposition to my judgment indeed she continued lashing herself up with her own recollections times are changed when the parson of a village comes to beard the liege lady in her own house why in my grandfather's day the parson was family chaplain too and dined at the hall every sunday he was helped last and expected to have done first i remember seeing him take up his plate and knife and fork and say with his mouth full all the time he was speaking if you please sir eurion and my lady i'll follow the beef into the housekeeper's room for you see unless he did so he stood no chance of a second helping a greedy man that parson was to be sure i recollect his once eating up the whole of some little bird at dinner and by way of diverting attention from his greediness he told how he had heard that a rook soaked in vinegar and then dressed in a particular way could not be distinguished from the bird he was then eating. I saw by the grim look on my grandfather's face that the parson's doing and saying displeased him, and, child as I was, I had some notion what was coming when, as I was riding out on my little white pony by my grandfather's side the next Friday, he stopped one of the gamekeepers and bade him shoot one of the oldest rooks he could find. I knew no more about it till Sunday when a dish was set right before the parson and sir Urian said now parson hemming i have had a rook shot and soaked in vinegar and dressed as you described last sunday fall to man and eat it with as good an appetite as you had last sunday pick the bones clean or by dash no more sunday dinners shall you eat at my table i gave one look at poor mr hemming's face as he tried to swallow the first morsel and make believe as though he thought it very good but i could not look again for shame although my grandfather laughed and kept asking us all round if we knew what could have become of the parson's appetite and did he finish it i asked oh yes my dear what my grandfather said was to be done was done always he was a terrible man in his anger but to think of the difference between parson hemming and mr gray or even of poor dear mr mountford and mr gray mr mountford would never have withstood me as mr gray did and your ladyship really thinks that it would not be right to have a sunday school i asked feeling very timid as i put the question certainly not as i told mr gray i consider a knowledge of the creed and of the lord's prayer as essential to salvation and that any child may have, whose parents bring it regularly to church. Then there are the Ten Commandments, which teach simple duties in the plainest language. Of course, if a lad is taught to read and write, as that unfortunate boy has been who was here this morning, his duties become complicated, and his temptations much greater, while at the same time he has no hereditary principles and honorable training to serve as safeguards. I might take up my old simile of the race-horse and cart-horse i am distressed continued she with a break in her ideas about that boy the whole thing reminds me so much of a story of what happened to a friend of mine clement de crequy did i ever tell you about him no your ladyship i replied poor clement more than twenty years ago lord ludlow and i spent a winter in paris he had many friends there perhaps not very good or very wise men but he was so kind that he liked everyone and everyone liked him we had an apartment as they call it there in the rue de lille we had the first floor of a grand hotel with the basement for our servants on the floor above us the owner of the house lived a marquise de crequy a widow they tell me that the Crecouille coat of arms is still emblazoned, after all these terrible years, on a shield above the arched Fort Crochere, just as it was then, though the family is quite extinct. Madame de Crecouille had only one son, Clément, who was just the same age as my Urien. You may see his portrait in the Great Hall. Urian's I mean. I knew that Master Urien had been drowned at sea and often had i looked at the presentment of his bonny hopeful face in his sailor's dress with right hand outstretched to a ship on the sea in the distance as if he had just said look at her all her sails are set and i'm just off poor master urian he went down in this very ship not a year after the picture was taken but now i will go back to my lady's story i can see those two boys playing now continued she softly shutting her eyes as if the better to call up the vision as they used to do five and twenty years ago in those old-fashioned french gardens behind our hotel many a time have i watched them from my windows it was perhaps a better play place than an english garden would have been for there were but few flower beds and no lawn at all to speak about but instead terraces and balustrades and vases and flights of stone steps more in the italian style and there were jets d'eau and little fountains that could be set playing by turning watercocks that were hidden here and there how clement delighted in turning the water on to surprise urian and how gracefully he did the honours as it were to my dear rough sailor lad urian was as dark as a gypsy boy and cared little for his appearance, and resisted all my efforts at setting off his black eyes and tangled curls. But Clément, without ever showing that he thought about himself and his dress, was always dainty and elegant, even though his clothes were sometimes but threadbare. He used to be dressed in a kind of hunter's green suit, open at the neck and half-way down the chest to beautiful old lace frills his long golden curls fell behind just like a girl's and his hair in front was cut over his straight dark eyebrows in a line almost as straight durian learnt more of a gentleman's carefulness and propriety of appearance from that lad in two months than he had done in years from all my lectures i recollect one day when the two boys were in full romp and my window being open i could hear them perfectly and urian was daring clement to some scrambling or climbing which clement refused to undertake but in a hesitating way as though he longed to do it if some reason had not stood in the way and at times urian who was hasty and thoughtless poor fellow told clement he was afraid fear said the french boy drawing himself up you do not know what you say if you will be here at 6 tomorrow morning when it is only just light i will take that starling's nest on the top of yonder chimney but why not now clement said urian putting his arm around clement's neck why then and not now just when we are in the humour for it because we de Crequis are poor and my mother cannot afford me another suit of clothes this year and yonder stone carving is all jagged and would tear my coat and breeches now tomorrow morning i could go up with nothing on but an old shirt but you would tear your legs my race do not care for pain said the boy drawing himself from urian's arm and walking a few steps away with a becoming pride and reserve for he was hurt at being spoken to as if he were afraid and annoyed at having to confess the true reason for declining the feat but urian was not to be thus baffled he went up to clement and put his arm once more about his neck and i could see the two lads as they walked down the terrace away from the hotel windows first urian spoke eagerly looking with imploring fondness into clement's face which sought the ground till at last the french boy spoke and by and by his arm was around urian too and they paced backwards and forwards in deep talk but gravely as became men rather than boys all at once from the little chapel at the corner of the large garden belonging to the mission étrangère i heard the tinkle of the little bell announcing the elevation of the host down on his knees went clement hands crossed eyes bent down while urian stood looking on in respectful thought what a friendship that might have been i never dream of urian without seeing clement too Urian speaks to me, or does something, but Clement only flits around Urian, and never seems to see anyone else. But I must not forget to tell you that the next morning, before he was out of his room, a footman of Madame de Crequy's brought Urian the starling's nest. Well, we came back to England, and the boys were to correspond, and Madame de Crequy and I exchanged civilities and uran went to see after that all seemed to drop away i cannot tell you all however to confine myself to the decrequise i had a letter from clement i knew he felt his friend's death deeply but i should never have learnt it from the letter he sent it was formal and seemed like chaff to my hungering heart poor fellow i dare say he had found it hard to write What could he, or anyone, say to a mother who has lost her child? The world does not think so, and, in general, one must conform to the customs of the world. But, judging from my own experience, I should say that reverent silence at such times is the tenderest balm. Madame de Crequy wrote too, but I knew she could not feel my loss so much as Clement. And therefore her letter was not such a disappointment she and i went on being civil and polite in the way of commissions and occasionally introducing friends to each other for a year or two and then we ceased to have any intercourse then the terrible revolution came no one who did not live at those times can imagine the daily expectation of news the hourly terror of rumours affecting the fortunes and lives of those whom most of us had known as pleasant hosts receiving us with peaceful welcome in their magnificent houses of course there was sin enough and suffering enough behind the scenes but we english visitors to paris had seen little or nothing of that and i had sometimes thought indeed how even death seems loath to choose his victims out of that brilliant throng whom i had known madame de crequis one boy lived while three out of my six were gone since we had met i do not think all lots are equal even now that i know the end of her hopes but i do say that whatever our individual lot is it is our duty to accept it without comparing it with that of others the times were thick with gloom and terror what next was the question we asked of everyone who brought us news from paris where were these demons hidden when so few years ago we danced and feasted and enjoyed the brilliant salons and the charming friendships of paris one evening i was sitting alone in saint james's square my lord offered the club with mr fox and others He had left me thinking that I should go to one of the many places to which I had been invited for that evening. But I had no heart to go anywhere, for it was poor Urian's birthday, and I had not even rung for lights, though the day was fast closing in, but was thinking over all his pretty ways and on his warm affectionate nature, and how often I had been too hasty in speaking to him, for all I loved him so dearly and how I seemed to have neglected and dropped his dear friend Clément, who might even now be in need of help in that cruel, bloody Paris. I say I was thinking reproachfully of all this, and particularly of Clément de Crequy in connection with Urian. When Fenwick brought me a note, sealed with a coat of arms I knew well, though I could not remember at that moment where I had seen it. I puzzled over it, as one does sometimes for a minute or more before i opened the letter in a moment i saw it was from clement de crequy my mother is here he said she is very ill and i am bewildered in this strange country may i entreat you to receive me for a few minutes the bearer of the note was the woman of the house where they lodged i had her brought up into the anteroom and questioned her myself while my carriage was being brought around they had arrived in london a fortnight or so before she had not known their quality judging them according to her kind by their dress and their luggage poor enough no doubt the lady had never left her bedroom since her arrival the young man waited upon her did everything for her never left her in fact only she the messenger had promised to stay within call as soon as she returned while he went out somewhere. She could hardly understand him, he spoke English so badly. He had never spoken it, I dare say, since he had talked to my Urian. End of section five.